Hey, my name is Lee, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires you, encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. What we're going to be doing, one of the things we're going to be doing next year is what we're calling a five-by-five. It's a Bible reading plan. It's basically something that I want to challenge you all to do throughout this new year. It will lead us through the entirety of the New Testament through the year. And basically, a chapter within the New Testament averages about five minutes to read. So we're challenging you to read five minutes a day, five days a week. Uh, That will give you Saturday and Sunday, that if you missed a day, you can catch up. Or if you stayed on track, then you can kind of take that time and reflect on that, what you've read that week. But a letter out there from me explaining the 5 for 5 in a little bit more detail is out there. Also, the reading plan for the month of January is out there on the information table. And uh, and we have a a message, a little bit of a Christmas letter that your pastor wrote. He's, He's sketchy, I understand that. Um, but he's written a letter. We'd love for you guys to pick one up out there um, during this Christmas season. But this morning, we are going to be looking and continuing in our Jesus Is, what we've been looking at over the month of December. And, you know, Mark's alluded to it. Um, we've, I've had several discussions with many of you this morning uh, the reality is, is this is one of our favorite time of year. You know, most all of us enjoy this time of year, but it gets crazy busy and chaotic and hectic. And I was doing, which I don't understand that. I mean, there's a lot of places that we have to be, but my wife stresses a lot over like shopping. Like, you know, people, are you ready for Christmas? No. You know, and I've asked everybody else that, are you ready for, no, I've still got so much to do. I, I, I had a guy, I did some hospital visits yesterday, and I had a guy on the elevator look at me and go, are you ready for Christmas? I went, yeah. It's all good, man. I've got the three things that keep me out of trouble. I've got a gift for my wife, gift for my daughter, gift for my mom. <laughs> I'm good. Now, if you ask my wife that, she's probably crazy off the, off the rails, just panic mode over what we've not got, but it's all good for us. I've got the three that keep me out of trouble. But as we're looking, as we're approaching this Christmas holiday, it's easy for us because there's probably not a one of us in the room here who doesn't, at least on the surface, know why we celebrate Christmas. And that's the birth of Jesus Christ. But even even the people who have deep relationship with Christ, lifelong relationship for Christ, it's easy to get caught up in the hustle and bustle and the chaos and the glitz, the over-commercialization of this holiday. And we get lost in these things. We get lost in the spectacle that has become Christmas. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. There's nothing, nothing wrong at all with dreaming of a white Christmas or singing and dancing along with, you know, rocking around the Christmas tree or maybe even my personal favorite Christmas song, Blue Christmas, the Porky Pig version. I don't know if you've ever heard Porky Pig do Blue Christmas or not, but it'll change your life, okay? 
There's nothing wrong with watching Christmas classics. You know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, Charlie Brown's Christmas, Miracle on 34th Street, even like the Home Alone movies. Okay, watching Home Alone, Home Alone 2, 4, 10, 12, all of those. Elf. Elf's a great Christmas movie. A Christmas story. A Christmas story. There's nothing wrong. Die Hard. Die Hard, which is a Christmas movie, by the way. And the all-time, hands-down, greatest, maybe movie of all time, but definitely the greatest all-time Christmas movie of all time. Whoa. Christmas Vacation. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Wow, I, I may be rethinking what I'm preaching after the first of the year now. Wow. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with Christmas trees. There's nothing wrong with lights. There's nothing wrong even with that creepy little elf thing, which I don't get. But when we boil it down, those things aren't wrong. But when that becomes what Christmas is to you, then you're missing the meaning of Christmas. And the meaning of Christmas is that Jesus Christ came. And he brought with him salvation. So there's so many promises there's so many great things that Jesus Christ brings into our life but the primary the most important and the true meaning of this holiday season is that Jesus came and brought salvation to us salvation deals with the fact that sinners need to be rescued God sent his son to pay the price that guilty sinners you and I every one of us in here guilty sinners that we could not pay and that we do not deserve. But if at Christmas time we don't think about the fact that God sent the Messiah, the Savior, the one who redeems us, then we have missed the message of Christmas. And you can see this message coming all the way through the Old Testament. You can see it coming in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. You can see all of these coming. And you can see this message of the Messiah, of this Savior that's coming. And last week we talked about, in our sermon, we talked about Jesus is the focus of our worship. We mentioned a biblical character in there. We didn't go too far into detail into his life, but, but I want to take a few moments and look at it this morning. We talked about the birth announcements last week. There were two major birth announcements that begin in the Gospels, and we can see this salvation theme carrying over from the Old Testament into the New Testament at the beginning of the Gospels. But what we see in the beginning of the book of Luke especially is a birth announcement to a priest named Zechariah. And Zechariah is in the temple doing his priestly obligations when God decides to break about a 400-year silence. And he breaks this silence with an angelic visitation of Gabriel announcing to Zechariah that John, he's going to have a child. He and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a child. They're going to name him John. He's going to be the forerunner for Christ. And Zechariah finds himself in this position that, number one, no one had heard from God in over 400 years. Number two, he's staring down an angel. And number three, his whole life story goes against what this announcement is saying in his life and speaking over his life because Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were at least in their 60s. Some people believe that they could have been even into their 80s, and they had not been able to have a child the entirety of their lives. They'd wanted one, and they were not able 
to have a child. Now, in this culture, the primary thinking was that if you did not have a child, if you couldn't have a child, then you were being punished for something. There was some type of sin in your life or in your family's life or in your ancestors' life. Someone had done something wrong along the way, and you were being punished by not having children. So Zechariah's had this desire in his heart his whole life and has kind of conditioned himself. Have you ever wanted something for so long and it not happened and you kind of just put up this protective mechanism that I'm not going to get hurt by this anymore? You know, you've wanted it and it's not happened, it's not happened, it's not happened so much and you just finally kind of put a, a little bit of a wall up, a protective wall there. Well, I kind of think that's what Zechariah is dealing with here. And Scripture says that during this announcement, that Zechariah had a moment of doubt, that he doubted the words that the angel was speaking to him. And for that, there is a little bit of a rebuke from God that takes place here because from that point on, Zechariah could not speak. And what we can get glean out of Scripture is it seems like he was deaf also. So from this point on, for nine months until John was born, Zechariah could not hear And he could not speak. So we have this period of time, nine months, that Zechariah has not spoken. They've had to communicate to him with signs, however they did that, and they had to, he had to communicate to them that way also. But in our scripture this morning that we're going to be reading out of, which is Luke chapter 1, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 67 through 79. So I wanted to set that backstory there for you a little bit, especially the part of Zechariah not being able to speak and not being able to hear for nine months because of a moment of doubt that he had at the birth announcement. But Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied nine months. Okay, remember that, nine months, and here is what we're getting ready to read are the first words of Zechariah in nine months. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for being able to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a family here at First Church, and and glorify you and honor you and praise you. God, at this point in our time together, we're going to worship you and glorify you through your word. 
So, Father, I ask that these words change us, change our hearts, change our lives, change our attitudes. God, and I pray for every here that hears this morning that their life would be touched and you would work through them however that you see fit to work. God, I pray for me right now that you would take my words, make them yours. Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me because we did not come to hear a word from man. We came to hear your word and a word from the Lord. So, Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have Zechariah. For the first time in nine months, he's able to speak, and he breaks into this song of praise, of worship, for a Savior that was coming. Now, just to put that in perspective a little bit, he mentions his son, John the Baptist, who was just born. But he kind of mentions him at the end of the song. You see, I think that there was something that happened to Zechariah. I believe that there was a change that took place in these nine months because I can, I can kind of understand where Zechariah is coming from. I've never had an angelic visitation. I've never had an announcement made to me like this, so I don't understand that. But there have been times that I have been guilty of doubting God. And I know that whenever I doubt God, there are things that come along and, and I have to learn a little bit of a lesson. And we're looking at, because some people may think, well, that's a little bit harsh. You know, they, they hadn't heard anything for 400 years and the guy has a little bit of doubt and then God rebukes him. Understand something. God disciplines those he loves. And if you're a parent in here and you've ever had to discipline your children, you discipline them from a place of love. You want them to, to be better after the discipline than what they were before. Kids don't understand that. I never understood that. But that's the way it is. You want them to be better and understand and do better after the rebuke and the discipline. And that's what we're seeing here. And I always go into my moments of discipline with God of, you know, after I doubt, after I pull a, a, a boneheaded move that I'm so famously known for, I kind of begin to question myself, and I can only think of Zechariah kind of doing the same thing after all of this is taking place of, man, why did I do that? Why didn't I just believe God? Why didn't I just take him at his word? Why did, why did I have to go and question, why am I such an idiot all the time? Why? You see, I think that that had to kind of be this process. But after nine months, we see a different side of Zechariah than what we see going into it. Imagine, just in, in your mind, imagine what your life would look like if you could not speak for nine months. Or not, or not. That's fine too. It's fine too. But think about that, all that you would have to do, because in, in, in this time with Zechariah, what had to happen is he had to be spending time meditating on the scripture that he had, the Old Testament. He had to be spending time in prayer, in developing his relationship with God, in learning to depend on, on, on God even more through this process. And you see what happens is whenever we receive a rebuke, whenever we do something wrong, there's a scar there. There may be some of us in here right now that are carrying scars or even fresh open wounds at this moment. Understand something through the life of Zechariah. Zechariah went into it with the wrong mindset, but that rebuke that God started with became a reward at the end. 
And I just want to take a moment and just encourage you in here this morning. If you're walking through something, if you've been through something, if you're battling something over and over and over, it may be that thing that you fought for the majority of your life. And just about the moment that you think that you're victorious over it and you're not struggling with it anymore. And then, boom, you find yourself right in there, right back into that same situation. Please do not lose faith. Keep faith in God, regardless of whether you think he's taking too long or not long enough, because I promise you that in his perfect timing, in his perfect will, not ours, God will reward you if you keep your faith in him. So be encouraged by that this morning. And remember Paul's words in the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. See, one of the things that I think that we learn from this passage is the value of silence and silent moments in our lives and the moments of being able to get away with God. If we don't seek out silence and silent moments with him, we're probably never going to understand the purpose or the will of God in our life. I'm not saying it's impossible, but most likely if we do not spend time alone with God in silence, detached, away from the hustle and bustle of life, then you're most likely always going to be searching for what God's will is and what God's purpose is for your life, and you're not going to be able to find it. How difficult in a crowded room that's in, in, at a Christmas party at your work and everybody's talking, there's music in the background. How difficult is it in the midst of all of that to give someone your undivided attention? It's almost impossible. But yet, for some reason, we feel like that God should be able to work in our lives even when we keep him in the middle of the chaos all the time and we don't take any time to set aside to be silent with him. I think that there are a few things that we see in this passage. We'll dissect this quickly this morning. But I think that the thing that we see most beyond anything else through Zechariah's song is that Jesus is salvation. Simply put, Jesus is salvation. One of the first things that I think that we see in this passage from Zechariah's song is that number one, salvation is a work of God, not our work. Salvation is a work of God, not ours. Look in verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Make no mistake, we didn't go searching for God. We did not go searching for God. There's thousands of years of history in the Old Testament that prove to us that we did not, as a a species, as mankind, as men and women, did not go searching for God. God came to us. He saw us in our helpless condition. He saw us in the state of sin that we couldn't overcome. He saw us even through the invent of the law and things and commandments that he wanted us to follow to try to get closer to him. He saw that there was no way that we in and of ourselves could get to him. We couldn't work hard enough. We can't do good enough. We can't try hard enough. 
to earn the salvation that God gives us. We cannot make our way to God. God comes to us. Salvation is God's work, not ours. It's hard for us to really grasp that because we're taught and we think all of our lives that if I want to achieve something, then I just work harder or I try harder or I I better myself, or I think more positively. And while those things aren't inherently bad, if you're trying to earn your salvation with that, you're going to fall woefully short every time. Because we all face an enemy that is far too strong for us to overcome by ourselves. And that enemy's name is sin. So there's no way that you and I in our own power, can receive this salvation. It's not our work. It's not by how good we are, how bad we are, how well we talk, how poorly we speak. It is Christ and his alone. But the good news in verse verse 69, (coughs) excuse me, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So what we see is that God recognized and God knew that we couldn't do it our own. So he sent his son and raised up a horn out of the line of David, out of the family in the house of David. A horn signifies strength, it signifies power, it signifies authority. And the Old Testament also signified anointing because that's what they would use to anoint. God sent us someone who could overcome what we could not. Sin in your life will always, always defeat you apart from Jesus Christ. But when you have Jesus Christ in your life, you have that horn of salvation. You have that power. You have that victory. One of my, one of my favorite sayings and one of the things that I keep in front of me so often is that as a believer, as a Christian, we do not fight our battles. You will fight battles. Okay, there, there's no exceptions. There's no exemptions from that. You will fight battles. But as a believer, as a follower of Christ, we do not fight our battles to obtain victory. We fight our battles to enforce victory. Because the victory is his. The victory is already won. And it's not ours to obtain. It's his. And we share in that because of his grace and his mercy. The second thing I think that Zechariah learned through the the Holy Spirit in this is that salvation comes through the Messiah. Salvation comes through the Messiah. Again, in, in verse 69, in the house of his servant David. Also in verse 76, we see that, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Zechariah, the thing that he's been wanting the, the most his whole life is a, is a child, is an heir, is a son. And now he's saying that this son, he's going to go before this Messiah, this Savior. In verse 78, he refers to the Savior as the rising sun from heaven. Now this is a reference to an Old Testament book. It's, it's an Old Testament book that we call a minor prophet. It's not that the prophet himself was minor, it's just a smaller book than the bigger prophecy books. And the, 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 the name of the book is Malachi. 
Or if you've never heard me say the dad joke before, he's also the Italian prophet, Malachi. You're welcome. But in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, it says, The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And Jesus himself, in John chapter 8, claims this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The third thing that I believe that Zechariah learned is that salvation means forgiveness by his mercy. Salvation means forgiveness by God's mercy. Zechariah in verse 79 brings together a couple references from Isaiah, uh, both chapter 9 and chapter 60, which describe those who need God's salvation as those living in darkness and the shadow of death. And I want to read something to you that was written by a pastor by the name of Stephen Cole, and he describes it this way, this picture. He says, the picture is of travelers who have lost their way in the wilderness and night falls. They grope for the path, but it eludes them. Finally, in despair, they can do nothing but sit down in the darkness, where death from wild beasts lurk in the shadows. They can't sleep because they are too cold and too afraid. Every time a wolf howls in the darkness, they shiver in fear. They huddle in the darkness. Hoping for the morning light, finally they see a faint glow in the eastern sky. Slowly but surely, the darkness yields to the bright morning sun. In its light, they find the path that leads to peace and to safety. This is a graphic picture of those who are finding themselves in the darkness that sin brings. They're lost in the darkness. They don't know which way to go. They're afraid of death, which is always lurking around them. They don't know what to do, and they can't find anything to do or be or see to find their way. Cole continues with his example. He says, Then, perhaps at Christmas time, they hear that a Savior has been born. The glimmer of hope in the eastern sky begins to dawn. They hear further that this Savior died to save his people from their sins. The sky brightens. But still they wonder if they can be good enough to earn this salvation which Christ offers. Then they hear that it is not something that anyone can earn, but that God offers forgiveness of sins freely because of his tender mercy. The sun rises in its full light into their soul, guiding them into his way of peace. God is not only just, but he's also merciful to us this morning. His great love and his great mercy caused him to send his son to bring salvation to those of us lost in the darkness of sin, unable to find our own way so that this Savior, this Son, this Jesus could be the light of our lives. And lastly, this morning, I believe that Zechariah learned, like, learned that salvation looks like something. Salvation looks like something. In verses 74 and 75, Zechariah says that being rescued from the hand of our enemies to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. 
Contrary to what many people think, Christianity is not primarily about us and about our happiness. Now, we have a joy-filled Christian life, no doubt. Jesus came to die for us, no doubt. But the reality is, is he saves us so that we can glorify him. And one of the ways that we glorify him is by living holy, righteous life in service to those around us. Your salvation from Jesus Christ should look like something this morning. It should look like you are set apart. There should be something different about you. If you, if you have come and you've given your heart to the Lord and you've been baptized and you're not changed from what you were, there's no indication of change, you may want to rethink what just happened because there may not have been a genuine salvation experience happened. We all struggle with sin, no doubt. We all struggle with the flesh, no doubt. But our salvation through a true experience with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love that he extends to us looks like something. It looks like a changed life, and it looks like service to others, not just about what I can get. So in conclusion this morning, did I say that once? I said ending once or something like that. Anyhow, second conclusion this morning. Years ago, a man named Dr. Bernardo probably butchered that, but that's as close as I can get. A man who ran a London orphanage was approached by a dirty, ragged little boy who asked for admission into the orphanage. The doctor looked at him and said, but my boy, I don't know you. What do you have to recommend you? The boy quickly held up before the doctor his ragged coat, and with a confident little voice, he said, if you please, sir, I thought these here would be all I need to recommend me. The doctor caught him up in his arms and he took him in because that truly was all he needed to recommend him was his rags. Do you need forgiveness this morning? Is your life in darkness? Are you living in sin, not, not knowing where to turn, where to go, no light present, worried about the, the echoes, the sounds of death that you hear all around you, living in fear of eternity and what may happen if that death does get a grip on you. Understand that we are all without Christ, clothed in filthy rags, in tattered coats, just like this young boy was. And the truth this morning is that there's nothing that we can do to make our salvation happen. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We can't work our way into heaven. But the one thing that we do is we receive that gift of salvation that was given to us. And we say, here's what I have, which is filthy, dirty rags of sin. And God said, that qualifies you for the love and the sacrifice of my son. Pray with me. God, I am truly humbled this morning that you would look upon a mess of a life like mine and say that one. And you would look at the mess that is every one of our lives in here and you look and you go, that one. That's the one. That's one of them that I sent my son for. They couldn't earn it. 
There's nothing in this world they could do to deserve this love, this forgiveness, this salvation. There's nothing. They couldn't work harder. They can't work hard enough to get it. They can't put their mind to it enough. They can't think their way into this. They can't just put a little bit more effort into it. They can't come to me, so Jesus, go to them. Salvation, go to them. Redemption, love, peace, mercy, hope, go to them because they cannot make it to us. God, thank you so much for that because without that, none of us, none of us are good enough to make it to you. Father, thank you for your son. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, if you're here and you are in that darkness, you've not given your heart to Jesus, you've not surrendered your life, you've not been baptized, you've not turned your life over to him, you're in darkness. I just urge you to make the best decision in your life. Give your heart to Jesus give your life to him. If you need prayer this morning, if maybe like we were talking about with Zechariah, maybe you're in a season where you're learning a lesson. You're moving from rebuke from God to reward by him and, and it's tough. There's some things going on in your life that you'd like us to be praying for. We'd love to pray for you at this point too. So as we stand and as we sing this hymn of invitation this morning.